Some of you will remember nearly three years ago in England when a British soldier was crossing a street in the southern part of London and two Muslim terrorists in a car intentionally knocked him down, ran into him, proceeded to jump out of the car and hack him to death with a machete and then stood over his body in the street. The crowd started together and there was a 48-year-old woman who got off a passing bus because she thought it was a traffic accident and wanted to render first aid. When she checked his pulse, she realized he was dead, and that's when she noticed the weapons in the two Muslim terrorist hands. And she remained calm, engaged them in conversation. And for the next several minutes until police arrived, she continued to talk to them. She continued to remain calm, and she was credited with keeping them calm. You see a picture of her standing there talking to one of the terrorists. Those two men are now in prison. During her interviews, this 48-year-old woman said this, and I want you to listen carefully to what she said. She said, I live my life as a Christian. I believe in thinking about others and loving thy neighbor. We all have a duty to look after each other. I think the key phrase in what she said is this one. I believe in thinking about others. See, the truth is, the way you and I think, our thought process, our attitudes, really are the key to our lives. Most of you who've been Christians for a long time are familiar with the the passage in the, the book of Romans when Paul tells us to not be like the world, to be conformed to the world, but instead to be transformed. And how does, what, what does he tell us we have to do if we're going to be transformed, if we're going to be different than the average person? The renewing of our mind. The way we think. The thought processes. Our attitudes are key to how we live. The truth is that what happens on the inside shapes what happens on the outside. Who we are inside shows up on the outside. Just how life works. And the Bible teaches that you and I are to have the mind of Christ, to think like Christ, to have his attitudes, have Christ-like thinking. And for the next few moments, I want to walk you through these verses that are familiar to some of us. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 3, and talk about them and relate them to our lives as disciples, but also want to relate them to this whole 6 and 6 capital campaign and our ministries as a family of faith. He tells us, beginning in verse 3, do nothing from selfishness. Do not make life primarily about yourself. Do you know that research tells us self-centered people are less happy than people who are generous, people who are loving, people who are giving that, that being focused on self actually leads to a life that is none as happy, a life with more problems, a life with more broken relationships. See, the Bible's a practical book. And when God says do things and don't do things, there are practical reasons for it. He's trying to help us and he's trying to protect us. And so he begins by saying, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. 
But with humility of mind, there's that word, your mind. With humility of mind, regard, think about, view, consider, one another is more important than yourselves. In other words, the world does not revolve around you. The world does not revolve around me. And one of the problems in our contemporary culture is we are teaching people, and and the truth is too many families are teaching their children by their actions. They don't mean to, but their actions are saying to those kids, you are the center of the universe, and there is no human being who's the center of the universe. That results in a warped view of life. Everyone has worth and we're to have self-esteem, but, but the world doesn't turn around any of us, including our kids and grandkids. Do nothing through selfishness, empty conceit. Consider others more important than yourselves. Verse 4, do not merely look out for your own personal interest. It doesn't mean that you're not to take care of yourself. You're not to have plans for your life. He's he's not saying don't pay any attention to your personal interests. What he's saying is do not, now notice this, do not merely look out for just, you can put that in there, for just your own personal interests, but also in addition to taking care of yourself, take care of others. Look after the interests of others. Pay attention to the needs of others. Again, yes, take care of yourself, but it's not just about you. It's not just about me. It's not just about self. And then he says, if you really want to understand this, you need to look at Jesus because he's our example. Verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves. And the word translated attitude in my Bible, and I think the the, the King James translates it, um, uh, think in yourself or something to that effect. It's it's the idea of thinking of, 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 of your thought process of when you're, it's a verb, actually, it's not a noun, it's a verb that you are to be thinking on the inside. Your, your mind is to be working. And how is it to be working? He says, like this, the same way Jesus' mind worked. Have this thinking process on the inside of you, just like Jesus, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, <laughs> Can, can we be honest? That's a big task. That that in here I'm supposed to be thinking the way Jesus thought. That's tough. I don't always do that. Do you? But as followers of Christ, that is what we are to strive for. Because as followers of Christ, we are his disciples, his pupils, his students. We learn from him, become more like him. Following him means we learn to do what he did. So renew our thinking. Change your thought process. Change the way you work on the inside so that on the inside you resemble Jesus more. And the good news is if you resemble Jesus more on the inside and and in how you think and in your attitudes, you're going to resemble him more on the outside and how you live and what you do because it starts inside. Religion's not just about the heart. It's also about the brain. It's not just about your emotions. It's also about your decision-making. It's all of that. And so he says we're to have this same mindset, this this same thinking process on the inside of us like Christ did. And and he's going to illustrate from Jesus' life what he just told us to do in verses 3 and 4. Here's what Jesus did in verse 6. 
who although he existed in the form of God, Jesus is the eternal one. You know, God is the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Each person of the Trinity has personhood. Each person of the Trinity is eternal. Each person of the Trinity is omnipotent, omnipresent. Jesus did not begin at Bethlehem. He always has. The Son always has been. He is the eternal one, and each person of the Trinity coexists. Now, that's beyond our ability to fully comprehend, which I'm thankful for because if I could fully comprehend God, he probably wouldn't be God. The fact that there are some things about God I can't understand is affirmation to me that he's God and that I'm less than God. But Jesus is the eternal one. He existed as the divine one, as God. He did not begin at Bethlehem, as I said. He's, he's the eternal God. So he existed in the form of God, but he did not regard or think or consider or view equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, that doesn't mean he gave up his deity when he came to earth. I'll show you in a moment what it does mean. What he gave up was something that he could have held on to. But he decided he wasn't going to hold on to it. He wasn't going to grasp it. He was going to let go. And one of the challenges for us as followers of Christ in life is there are those moments when God says, let go of something. There are those things in our life that God says, let go of. There are attitudes and thinking processes that God says, you need to let go of. Ways of living, habits, God says, let go of. All these different things. God says, you got to let go of some things. And the key to letting go of those things when God speaks to you in the moment is having already let go of your life so that it could be Jesus' life, not yours. If anyone wants to follow me, Jesus said, do what? Deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. You've got to let go of self if you're going to let go of the things that God says you need to let go of. It's lordship, like we talked about last Sunday, kingship. So, Jesus let go of these things. Verse 7, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. He left the glory of heaven. He let go of the comfort and perfection of heaven. He let go of the beauty and the peace and the status he experienced with the Father in heaven and stepped to this earth where things are sometimes ugly, where there is pain and death and suffering. He took upon himself this body, a body like ours, and Jesus during his 30 plus years on this planet was fully God and fully man. Don't totally get that, but that's okay because he's the divine one. But as fully man with a body of flesh and blood like ours, he could bleed. He could be cut. He could hurt. He could cry. He could suffer. He could die. And he did. And he let go of the exact opposite of that, which he enjoyed in heaven, emptied himself of that, and experienced all of this. Who was he thinking about when he did that? 
himself. So often we want to hold on to things because we don't want to let go and empty and experience something that might be tough or make a sacrifice. But he's made in the likeness of men, like us. A body like ours. In verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Because remember, when Jesus was on earth, he was fully man, but he was also fully God. Did Jesus perform miracles? Yes, fully God. Did he raise people from the dead? Yes, fully God. Did he forgive sins? Yes, fully God, for only God can forgive sins. And so Jesus could have prevented some of the things that happened to him. He could have prevented them from happening, even while on earth. But he humbled himself, continuing to empty himself, continuing to let go and and not hold on to what always was the easy way. Humbled himself and became obedient. The Father's will. Jesus said, I was born for this reason, did he not? To give my life as a ransom, as a sacrifice, as payment for the sins of humanity. There was the will of the Father when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. God, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And and sometimes the will of God is inconvenient. All the self-help preaching and all the prosperity gospel and, and all the preachers who get on TV and get everybody excited that God's always going to bless and God's always going to make it easier not preaching the full gospel. Because sometimes God says, following me and obedience means sacrifice. Giving up some things. Letting go of some things. It's not all about us. Happy, happy, happy all the time. Now, that doesn't mean God doesn't want us to be happy. He does. And he blesses us with joy and peace and beautiful moments and beautiful experiences and a beautiful life. But brothers and sisters, sometimes you have to be willing to suffer so that you can, in the long run, experience the absolute joy of being in the center of God's will for your life. And so he became obedient. How obedient? To the point of death. But not just any death, the cruel, humiliating death of the cross. And so I said, when you, when you look at Jesus, he's our model, he's our example. And if, if you follow his example, then you can do what I've just written, Paul says, in verses 3 and 4. Don't be selfish, don't be conceited, but with humility in your mind, view others as more important than yourself and look after their interest while you're also looking after your own. Nothing wrong with having some boundaries in your life. I have some boundaries in my life. I say no to some things. But but if your boundaries are so rigid that, that there's no room for you to serve, no room for you to sacrifice, no room for you to give, no room for you to care, then you've got the wrong boundaries. If you're going to hold everything for yourself and, 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 you, and you're always going to think me first, you've got the wrong boundaries. 
If, if you don't understand that your money and your time and, and, and your skills need to be open to go outside those boundaries for the kingdom of God, you've got the wrong kind of boundaries. The needs of others. Sometimes it, it, it's inconvenient. I saw that among several of our members in the last day or two. The, the, the serving, the, the, the meeting the needs of others. It's been a tough week for us. We had three deaths this week. Brother Gene over here helping a friend of his. Get ready for for the funeral. And um, Bobby and Elaine Baker back over here. Where you at, Bobby? Where you at, Elaine? Over here somewhere. Uh, with Brother Jim Kramer dying unexpectedly yesterday at 53 of a massive heart attack, apparently. And uh, Bobby and Elaine, late yesterday about 6 o'clock, driving to Charleston because one of their daughters is in college down there. And bringing her back and getting back about 1 o'clock in the morning. That's not convenient. But that's, that's what you do. Monisa was in Charleston this weekend to help Jacqueline. It's uh, been a tough week for her with, with her chemo. Toughest week she's had yet. But Monisa went over to that daughter's dorm room so she could learn about her father and then to help her call her mom. Um, it's been a tough Tough day or two. But whether it's in a crisis like that or something far less, Jesus said this is how we're supposed to think. And I say it all the time in God's people, and it's a beautiful thing to watch. Those are just some examples. And some of you are saying, Steve, what in the world? Why are you preaching this sermon? This is a celebration of our 6 and 6 capital campaign. What's that got to do with any of this? I think it has everything to do with it. Because the, the truth is, and this is what some people don't get, and this is what you, you know, some people just don't get it. That, that all this stuff we're talking, it's not about money, and it's not about this building, and it's not about debt even. It's really about us and what kind of people we are. It's about our church and what, what our purpose is. Because the truth is, this, this entire campus and everything that's a part of what we quote-unquote call the church is simply a tool, a ministry instrument used to make a difference in people's lives. Let me just give you an example. This, this room. There's more on this church than just this room. Let's just talk about this room. Because the room is for a lot more than just us being here on Sunday morning for worship services. And a whole lot more than Wednesday night dinners and orchestra rehearsals and the things that we normally associate with this. It's, it's, it's about a whole lot more than weddings. And we have uh, ministry partners. Those are, are Christian ministries that we, we work with. We, we come alongside. We're co-laborers with them. We support. And there are some of them, for instance, this, and this is, I'm just going to give you the tip of the iceberg. You need to know this. There are some of those ministries that the single most important, largest fundraiser they do every year to support those ministries is an annual fundraising banquet. Some of you have been part of those, right? 
and we, we, we host several of those every year. FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. The Palmetto Pregnancy Crisis Center. The Christian Women's Job Corps. The Children's Attention Home. There's just some. There's others. What I'm trying to say in just those brief comments is this, this building enables so many other ministries in this, in this community that we partner with to, 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 to have that banquet to raise the funds so they can exist and do their ministry. And that's, that's an important thing. It's not a light thing. We have partners in this community. They're not Christian ministries, Okay. They're secular. They're not Christian ministries. But it's important, we think, for us to have partnerships with particular entities in our community. For instance, I'll just be candid as, as pastor in this First Baptist Church. I think it's important we have a partnership with our school systems. We have, we, we have uh, you know, many families in this church who homeschool their children, whose children are in Christian schools, private schools, and that's a good thing. But we also have many families, more families, whose children are in public school. We have a lot of teachers in this church. We have, we have people who work with the school districts in this church. And I, it's my conviction, and I believe it's our conviction, that we're going to come alongside and be salt and be light and help. And we're going to have those kind of partnerships. And so the school, local schools and school district use our campus. We, we have those partnerships. And we're going to continue having those kind. I think that's a good thing. Um, every year for several years we host a luncheon in here a memorial luncheon for, for the police departments in this part of South Carolina which those officers who have been killed in the line of duty are remembered and their families are here and are honored and loved on we need, we need, to, we need to have those kind of partnerships with those uh, first responders in our community so this, this building, and I'm, I know I'm talking in some very practical terms, but you see ministry, when you get down to it, ends up being practical. And, you, and you've got, I need you to understand that this building, this campus is about more than what, quote, unquote, a lot of times we think it's about. I'm proud of the fact that we host the annual Martin Luther King Jr. prayer breakfast for our, for our part of South Carolina and that there's several hundred people in here that Monday morning every year. It's important that we help with community relations and race relations in this part of South Carolina. And this facility allows us to do that. I'm proud that for over 20 years, every year we've hosted the Rock Hill High School Baccalaureate. As long as they want to work with us, we're going to work with them. Those partnerships matter. We've had job fairs in here in partnership with the Herald and other entities helping people find a job. Thursday night this week, I was in here. There were about 300 volunteers with our city's parks and recreation and tourism division. They wanted to have an annual banquet to say thank you to them. So we agreed to let them have it here uh, so long as I get to get up and welcome everybody and invite them to our Easter service. And I could go on because I, I, I'm just mentioning a few. I, I could take the next 20 minutes and name for you thing after thing, group after group, because it, we can't say yes to everybody. There have to be some boundaries. But, but when it comes to our first responders and our government entities and our school district, those are going to be some partnerships that, 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 that we value. 
And what I want you to understand, when we have this campus and this facility, it enables us to do those things that can impact the world and help us connect with people. So don't, don't think of this as just a place for worship. That's one of the benefits of this being a multi-purpose facility. We can do so much more in this community than we could do if it was simply just a, a traditional sanctuary. So I thank God for that. So the point is the campus, it's about more than buildings. It really is about ministry. And what about evangelism? You know, this is the place where we worship and preach and see people saved. How many of you were here two weeks ago when we baptized 37 people? Is that a good day? Yeah. Watch this, watch this video, if you would. I've been going to this church for the past five or six years. A friend of mine invited me one Sunday, and they all real nice to me, uh, real friendly. And they just make you feel at home at this church. You know, I lived 30 years as a complacent Christian, and it's just good to finally like, dedicate myself to Christ. That's one of the most exciting things I've ever been a, a part of, seeing so many uh, new believers follow Christ in, in baptism. I think it's going to be exciting for them and for our church, create a lot of enthusiasm. I do think it's the right thing to do because I've been waiting my entire life to do this. It is my purpose to baptize you, my brother. I don't want to sit in the congregation for the rest of my life and wonder, you know, why haven't I done this yet or for it to be on my heart. So. We have uh, one man who's in his 70s that back in December prayed and committed his life to Jesus Christ and I'm baptizing him today. It just builds your confidence up, builds your morale up, makes your friends feel confident that you've been saved. You want to join Jesus Christ later on, and you want to become a good Christian. Whether you're young, old, or anywhere in between, it's never too late to give your life to Christ and be baptized. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in I wanted a moment I'd actually be able to look back on and remember that I was actually, you know, um, I was saved, and I couldn't doubt it. When you finally commit to Christ, you, you, you just know. These people here are just everyday working people. There's nothing special except that they believe in God and they want you to believe in God. It's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Just so thankful to be part of a church that cares about people and wants to see people come to know the Lord. They accept you whether you have any money or you don't have any money, whether you're well dressed or you just come in your blue jeans. They're that kind of church. They're just a good church. I love this church. I mean, it was part of my conversion process. Just reintroduced me to what I always knew was right. I just never followed. Go God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. Go God. That's good. And uh, this facility enables us to see that happen. So here's what I want you to know. It is wrong thinking if you say this is just a building. It is wrong thinking if you say this is just about us. Christ set the example of emptying himself, giving up the glory of heaven and the status and comfort of heaven. And what did he accept? In place of all that, a human body that could suffer, the rejection of men. He became a servant. 
not just God, but he became a servant. He experienced death even though he had never sinned and was not worthy of death. And not just any death, but the humiliation of being crucified as a criminal. And the pain of one of the most torturous deaths someone can experience. And why? Well, look around this room. Go ahead, look around the room. That's why. And when you go out to lunch today, and you see people in that restaurant, past people in their cars driving up and down Dave Lyle, when you get home this afternoon and you go by all those houses in your neighborhood, they're why. That's the reason. And they are also our mission. See, life is not simply about getting. It's not simply about having. It is also about giving. And the way we think, the way we think shapes what we do and who we are. Thus he says, have within us the same kind of thinking, the same kind of attitude, the same kind of mind that Jesus Christ had. Who didn't just get and have and hold on to things, but let go and emptied himself and gave for the sake of humanity. Now that's not the way the world says approach life, but it is the way a follower of Christ approaches life because that's the way Jesus approached everything. And yeah, it's at odds with so much of what we hear. It's countercultural at times. That's okay. Because it's perfectly in line with the culture of heaven, in line with the culture of the kingdom of Almighty God. And that's the one I'd rather be in line with. What about you? And so I'm going to close by giving you some updates about our campaign i just want to say thank you because you remember our goal is to pay off the debt in six years knowing it'll take a miracle of god because uh just looking at our history if you just want to do the practical strategic looking at our history um we can probably do about four of the six just looking at our history remember that from last year so we've been praying You've got your coins in your pocket, the key chains to remind you to pray because we want to, we're going to step out on faith and I don't know how God's going to answer our prayers and do the miracle, but we're going to trust God and do our part. And so we're praying. But the past year, the first year of the six and six campaign, here's what, here's what you gave, that amount. Now, to help you have that in perspective, that works out to a $2 million three-year campaign. So you've been very, very generous that's extra payments against principal this past year when we started in january january 1 this was our debt it's over 6.2 million here's what our debt is as of today that is a reduction of this amount i think we all got glory for that 